Hello. Welcome. Right, we've got a lot to get through this morning, so I'm going to crack to it. I'm Matt, if you don't know me. Um, welcome. Uh, if you want to find the book of uh, 2 Corinthians in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, do not worry, because the passage will appear on the screen in a moment or two. What we're doing is, we, over the last few weeks, um, or last three weeks, including this week, each week we've been spending a little bit of time talking about who we are as a church and a little bit of, of our uh, kind of mission and vision here in the city. Um, and we've been working through this kind of statement together, which says we are a community of Amsterdamers from multiple different nations, backgrounds, ages and stages of life. And as a community, our desire is to love God. That love compels us to love others and to love our city. Amsterdam is a city of diversity and creativity, of passion and freedom. However, we believe that the love of Jesus can transform Amsterdam into something greater than it is. In a city set on finding liberty, we believe that true liberty comes in following Jesus. And this is life, life to the full. When true love captures us, our desires change, our, our habits die, our priorities are reset, and our dreams are reimagined. We no longer want to live for ourselves. Something greater is before us. And we've been uh, uh, looking at these three titles. So week one was Jesus, the church, and worship. Week two was Jesus, the church, and the city. And week three was Jesus, the church, and you. And I would flick onto the, the next one, but my phone is uh, frozen. I hate technology, don't you? It's supposed to be in this wonderful modern society, and oh, how did we get there? Da, 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 da. Can I borrow your phone, Rich? Thanks. <sighs> Thank you. It's because I, I switched to Android. <laughs> There's a lesson there, isn't there? There's a lesson. Oh, dear. Yours isn't working either, Rich. See, his iPhones as well. Okay, what I'm going to do, is I'm going I'm to go the old-fashioned way. I'm going to open my Bible. Well, not sure which way round it even goes anymore. Here we go. We're going to find... 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that that is, that is true this morning. You died for us, us uh, just unworthy, helpless sinners. And yet you stepped down to save us, to save your people 
to take all our sins upon yourself, to pay the price, the penalty for those things. And then you, you rose again and you defeated death. And for those of us here who are believers, we rose with you as new creations to receive this new life. And we want to work out now all the implications of your grace. We want to live for different life now, not because we have to, to somehow win your favor, but because your favor has been lavished on us. And we want to follow you and live a life worthy of your calling as our response. And we can only do that through you, Holy Spirit, working amongst us. So we invite you to speak to our hearts and draw us close to you this morning. Amen. If you go to the uh, Amsterdam Central Station, um, I don't know if you've had the opportunity to do it, I'm sure many of you have, and there's a series of ferries behind the station which are all free, uh, and you can head off into the north of the city. Um, the north of the city is this barren, horrible place, so they have to make them free so that people go there. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. It's beautiful. <laughs> and you can take one of the ferries and head out to the uh, NDSM wharf, which is up, um, I don't know which direction that is, west, northwest. And when you get off the ferry there and you walk straight ahead into what was once some kind of Docklands uh, and is now a kind of bit of a creative hub in this city, uh, and right in front of you, you'll see this massive mural painted on the side of the building. It's huge. It's something like 240 square meters by an artist called Eduardo Cobra. Uh, and the picture is of Anne Frank, uh, who I'm sure many of you will know. You can go and visit the house where her and her family were in hiding, not far from here. And this picture is of Anne Frank's face. And it says beneath it, it says, let me be myself, which is something that Anne Frank wrote in her diary and has been turned into this kind of statement of individual uh, liberty and freedom, that this is, uh, that, that's everybody's heart's desire, and that's what we get to do now, is just to be ourselves. That's what everybody around us is chasing to do all the time. That's how we define ourselves more and more. Even today, issues even around you know, sexuality and gender, we, we, we decide what we want to be based on what we feel. Let me be myself. What I feel in here is the most important thing. And yet, obviously, Anne Frank, you know, she, when she wrote that in her diary, it was actually part of a rant uh, against her mother. <laughs> she was just saying to her mum, oh, would you just leave me alone, give me a break? But it's been turned into this kind of statement of individual freedom. And so much of the society we live in, of this city, is geared towards this kind of sense of individualism, which isn't necessarily a bad thing we all get to enjoy the fruits of, uh, of individualism. We live in a society where human rights are respected, uh, where we're, we're treated as equals, we're treated as individuals fairly and rightly, and there's lots that's good about that. But this kind of sense of individualism, it has a kind of, an, I guess what you could call an evil twin, narcissism. I don't know if you've heard that word, which is where you become so focused upon yourself that it actually is, becomes a, a, an oppressive thing and a, and a dangerous thing and a thing that, that actually ignores so much of other people. It's this kind of excessive interest in yourself that it kind of corrupts and does lots of damage 
to you and to people around you. And we could talk about what the root cause of that would be, but the reality is it's true. We live in a very self-centered age. Uh, we live in a very self-centered city where people live for themselves. Uh, the most important thing is keeping yourself happy, doing the things that keep you happy. And there's some kind of negative fruits of this narcissism, three which I'll mention briefly, which would be uh, disappointment, social dysfunction, and loneliness, which kind of sound a bit like you know, some of the really horrible seven dwarfs, right? You know, there's happy and bashful and sleepy, and then disappointment and dysfunction, you know, the, the ones that you don't want to invite to your party. But many people, um, many people come to this city, maybe it's true of you, that you've, you've come here to, to achieve something, to do something with a goal in mind, uh, with an aspiration, I'm going to do this thing. And the way we're trained to think in our society is that not only do we want to do that thing, but we feel like we're entitled to it. We're entitled to my own happiness, my own pleasure, for fulfilling my own goals. But many people move to the city to achieve their dreams and end up disappointed because either they achieve their dreams and realize it wasn't quite what they thought it would be. It's a bit of a letdown when they get there. Or they never actually get to do that. You know, you could, you could be the best, um, the best violin player in your village 50 miles away. You could be the, 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 what do they call it, like the number one seat in the orchestra, the best in your village or town. And then you move to Amsterdam and the guys that busk under the Rijksmuseum are better than you are. <laughs> you know, we, we come with all our dreams and desires and then discover that's why everybody else has moved to the city as well. And we're all kind of competing against them. So lots of people live lives of disappointment when we discover that we can't meet our own expectations, when we even feel like we've let ourselves down because we've become so focused on ourselves that when we can't meet our own expectations, we feel disappointed. Or the other one would be social dysfunction, that when you get so kind of narcissistic and individual that we treat relationships there's almost like social transactions where, where we, we, we use people for our pleasure. So I'm go, this relationship works because it makes me happy. And as long as it, as when it stops making you happy, when it stops meeting your needs, you back away or you, you end it. This, this relationship isn't fulfilling me anymore. It's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not what I expected. So we back away because we treat relationships as transactional things. As long as I get my needs met, as long as you make me happy, this relationship's gonna work. But if we hit any difficulty or trouble, if you let me down, then that's, that's it, it's over. That's how we treat relationships often, and that leads to lots of dysfunction, broken relationships, all sorts of devastation in family life. And then the third one, which I guess is related to the one I'm off, would be, would be loneliness that we live in a very lonely city because people are so individually focused that we forget about nurturing good relationships and that ends up making us feel incredibly lonely. And even with all the technology that we have today, all the social media, all the surveys show that social media makes you less happy, not more happy. It makes you more lonely. 
even though theoretically we should be more connected than we've ever been in human history, and yet we're lonelier than we've ever been in human history. There's a survey that came out recently amongst teenagers that said just in the last four years that teenagers feel 30% lonelier than they did only four years ago. And that since, since they'd started um, asking that question, since surveys began, basically, teenagers are, are their loneliest ebb than they've ever been, ever. And teenagers are also the highest users of social media. Doesn't make you more connected. That doesn't, these online relationships don't replace the offline reality. All they do is put lots of expectations and burdens on us when we see people's beautiful lives, the kind of PR presentation of their Instagrammable life, and we realize that ours doesn't live up to what we see of theirs, this kind of glossy image that makes us unhappy. So we live in this city where there's lots of disappointment, dysfunction, loneliness, and I guess we could think, well, there's a very simple equation here. If we've got people who, who these symptoms are there, they're, they're lonely, they're, they're, they're dysfunctional, um, we could say, well, that's, that's great. We've got the answer, right? We're the church. We're, we're a community. So take one lonely person, put them in a community of people, ta-da, problem solved, which is partly true, but it's not really the complete answer, not by any stretch, because I'm sure there'll be people here that, that are in part of a community. You know, all of us come from families, and I'm sure many of you have experienced in your family highs and lows. Lots of enjoyment and pleasure and fun, but I'm sure plenty of pain and disappointment as well. Maybe even in, in, in your church Life, if you've been part of churches, maybe growing up or for a few years, I'm sure you will have known your fair share of disappointment and frustration when even this, maybe even this church where it's let you down because you're surrounded by lots of imperfect people and we don't always look after each other as well as we could. There's a bit of a flaw in our plan. I remember when, when Joe and I had our first child we lived, the town we lived in in England, we lived in a relatively poor neighborhood. And there, there was a government scheme where people that lived in poor neighborhoods, they would give you money, uh, I can't remember how much it was, I think it was about 200 English pounds, so you could buy fruit and veg. Um, was it 500? Wow! So 500 pounds to buy fruit and veg, because they, they, they worked out the equation Okay, children in poor neighborhoods are unhealthy. They're unhealthy because they don't eat fruit and vegetables. They don't eat fruit and vegetables because fruit and vegetables are expensive. Therefore, we'll just give them money and then they'll go and buy fruit and vegetables. But I can't remember what we did with that 500 pounds. We brought a car stereo is what we did with that 500 pounds. So we didn't buy lots of broccoli because why would you? You know, 500 pounds worth of broccoli, what are you going to do with that? But it's kind of the problem with that government solution, and I guess the same problem with how we meet these needs in our city, is that you have to hit the, the root issue, the heart issue. And for, for those families in poor neighborhoods, the issue probably wasn't that they didn't have enough money, because many of our neighbors would have, 
you know, satellite TVs and the best new clothes. They, they, they had money, and they just spent it on, they, didn't, they spent it on car stereos, you know, <laughs> rather than fruit and veg. And there's a, there's a deeper issue that we need to be aware of, that in our society, these needs, the, the fragmentation of society, the broken relationships, it's not just uh, because we need more relationships to fix that. There's something else going on. There's another problem that we need, that we need to face. You see, because it's not that we're just individual, it's not that we've just got this sense of, you know, whatever you call it, narcissism or individualism. The problem is that at the root of us is that we're, we're selfish. We're, we're self-absorbed. There's, even deeper than that, there's, we, we worship ourselves. There's a rebellion that's taken place. Or as we were talking about a few weeks ago, where we've been designed to worship God, We've, we've said, actually, I don't want to trust him because I know better. <laughs> my plan for my life is going to work out better. The things I want are better than what he has, so therefore I will trust my plan. And that's just worship. We're just, we've replaced God with ourselves. We've rebelled against him. We've chosen to walk our own way. And the Bible calls that sin. And sin at the very heart of it is it's antisocial. It seeks to the things that God has joined together, sin rips them apart, or at least it tries to. That's what it does. Even those hidden private sins that you think, well, this doesn't hurt anybody because nobody knows about this. They do something within you to drive you not only from God but from other people. Those things that you can't tell anybody, what that's doing within you is, is building up a wall around you. It's, it's separating you off. It's putting you in your own special enclosure, dividing you from people, from even the people that are closest to you. That's what sin can do to you. Even if you go right back to the beginning of the Bible, we find it in the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis, where they sin and they eat from the tree when God's told them not to, and the first thing they do is they hide from God. That's, that's how they respond. They hide. Because they do exactly what we do. They know they've failed. They know they've done the wrong thing, so they hide it. Or they try and hide themselves. And all of a sudden, that relationship is broken because they've hidden themselves. Because they've sinned. They've turned from God. And we do the same thing. So the problem, it's not a relationship problem. It's, it's a worship problem. That's at the heart of the issue. It's not a problem of people and relationships, is that our heart has been directed in the wrong way. And what the, the fix, the solution, the reconciliation that we need, only God can provide that. That's what the Bible teaches us. Only God can do that. And we see in, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, the wall that divided us from God, from each other, 
has been broken down by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. See, what reconciliation does is it takes enemies and makes friends. Without Jesus, we're we're enemies even of God. And we can't reconcile ourselves to, to him. He's stepped down to work that act of reconciliation, to bring us back together, to unite us with him. It takes those that have been alienated and brings them in. It takes those that have been lost and it brings them home. And this relationship with God is restored and then God works to restore the relationships around us as well, to reconcile what's been broken between us and other people. It's not a sudden quick fix, not like you become a Christian and everything's perfect, but little by little, God works in your life to slowly fix those relationships. And normally, what we'd like to happen is for the other people to be fixed, right? This relationship would work really well if they stopped doing that. But actually, what God does is he, is he works slowly in our hearts. And we begin to realize that the common denominator in all our broken relationships is actually us. <laughs> you know, all those, different, all those situations where it's broken and it doesn't work, the only person that's in all those situations is you. It doesn't mean you've not been sinned against and you've not been hurt. But sometimes we need, to, we need to look ourselves, not in the face, but in the heart, and ask for God's help. Those relationships will be restored, not by fixing necessarily the other people, but by fixing what's broken in us. The selfishness in us, which has created walls. The sin in our lives, which has divided us. We get to come and ask for his forgiveness to help restore those things. And this reconciliation that God's done brings us back together with him, but brings us into this body This people, that's what we are as the church. We're this reconciled community, a community of reconciliation. All the time, that's our mission statement, to seek to bring reconciliation, to apply the gospel, what Jesus has done to our lives and our relationships again and again and again. Because he's added us into his family now, And that's what makes the church utterly unique of any club or community or organization in the city is that we're the body of Christ. We're his people. He's added us together. We're adopted as brothers and sisters now. You know, if if you've been adopted into a family, you, you go to dinner not because necessarily it will do you good, but because you're part of the family. You just do it because it's, it's who you are now. I'm, I'm part of this family now, so of course I'm going to be here. That's the same for us as the church. You sometimes might feel like it's not really doing me any good, but it's your family now. This is, this is real. This is true. So I'm going to come here because I'm part of the family. 
because this is Christ's body which he's added me into. And what we, I want to do just before we finish is talk about a couple of things that as we begin to focus a bit more on community as a church, as Jess said earlier, we're relaunching uh, this week. Some of them will probably start next week, but in the next couple of weeks, our new community groups. And there's a few things that we want to be true about those groups, some kind of values, some marks of our community. And first of all is that, is that we want to dwell <laughs> is that we want to meet God together. We want to be day by day, week by week, a community of people whose lives are centered on Jesus, on worshiping him and what he's done. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, we're the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them. I'll be their God, they shall be my people. God's made his dwelling place his holy temple, his people, the community of God, the church. We're called to be this worshiping community and we want to work that out week by week in our lives. We want to open our lives and hearts to his dwelling. And how do we do that? It says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Part of how we, we, uh, we work this out of being the dwelling place of God is we, we, we let God dwell with us. We let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. We study his word. We read the Bible together as a community. We read it. We study it. That's why we do this every week. When we stand up here on a Sunday and talk to you, it's not just because we like preaching as, as it itself. It's not because we just we want to teach you some things and communicate some things. We want you to meet Jesus in your heart. We, we want your very inner being to be transformed for you to encounter God as we do this. We want to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and for it to bear fruit in your life says in Ephesians 4 that we're to, we're to grow up in this truth. We grow individually, but actually we grow together in the word, in this truth of how he's, uh, what he's written in his word. But also we dwell richly by the second half of that verse where it says we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's not just about preaching and talking at you. It's what, why we, we sing together not because it's just what churches have done for hundreds and thousands of years, but again because we want to meet God in our hearts. We want to let him dwell in us richly so we come and worship him and we adore him. We sing about who he is and what he's done, but all the time expecting to meet with him afresh, to know him deeply in our hearts again afresh. And we want to be a community that's devoted for both, to both those things. It says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. It says in James, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We want both of these things to be true. We want to be devoted to his word, but devoted to worshiping together as a community. And I found that, that uh, 
you know, we're a church with many people from different backgrounds, even different church backgrounds. And I think for some of us, if we were to run like a midweek Bible study, then you would, you'd be there. Or if you miss a message on a Sunday, you, you listen to it. And others of you, if we ran like a, a midweek extended night of worship or a prayer meeting, you'll be there, right? You, we, can, we can have both those things, okay? It doesn't have to be one or the other. Sometimes we get this imbalance where even that verse in Colossians, I've heard people quote the first part of the verse to me, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, but then I've heard other people quote the second part at me, that we should sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But it's one verse, okay, with one purpose in mind, that Christ dwells in us, that we're his temple, we're his body, we're this community of worship, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. And the beauty of a church like this, where we've got lots of people from different backgrounds, is that we can, we can learn from one another. We can be stretched by one another, think, well, I, wow, do you know, there's, there's something about my walk with God that I've not seen that before, but that's beautiful, I want that. I want that in my life, that's gonna help me. So let's be a community that learns from one another of those things, learns to dwell with God together. And we want a community as well that's full of real relationships, where because we're his body, we work out authentic community, where this community of reconciliation together. It says in Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, whereas the world around us engages in these transactional relationships where we just take what we can get, we should engage in sacrificial relationships where we're willing just to give out to people again and again and again. Even if we see no benefit in it for us, we just want to live these sacrificial relationships, loving people over and over and over because that's how, that's how Jesus loves us. And that's what he's told us to do. And our family, this church family, should be full of genuine love, loyalty, and honor, just rich, deep friendships where we really know each other, where there's affection, and all these things are practiced consistently and persistently over and over again. It says in Ephesians 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You know that in my old King James translation of the Bible, which I have at home, that word patience, it translates that as long-suffering. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it is to be patient with someone. You have to suffer them for a really long time. <laughs> you know, they might annoy you, and they may continue to annoy you for a long time. But sometimes that's what patience is. Sometimes we can see something in someone's life that even appears to us maybe ungodly. And we want to go in and run in and fix it and change them. And sometimes God actually says to us, you know what, you just need to love them for a long time. And keep displaying love to them. And, and let me change them. So often we want to rush in and be the solution, whereas Jesus is. And our job is not to fix people, but to introduce them to Jesus so he can fix them. 
We need to learn to shift from a self-love to a self-giving. goes on, we read in Ephesians 2 earlier, it goes on to say, we're no longer strangers and aliens. We're not just a group of people who are all abstracted from different backgrounds, who are all a bit weird and foreign to each other, but we're fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this picture of this building being built, this temple literally being built together with us as the building blocks, that's the picture that Paul's giving us there in Ephesians. But in that context, when that was written 2,000 years ago, when you had two bricks, you didn't just get some, what do they call it, like mortar or cement to join them together. You made the bricks fit by you'd knock some edges off them. <laughs> you'd chisel them into shape. So that where it says join together, there's not some magic glue that happens, but they're literally shaped together. That's how they're joined together. And that's often, that's what God does with us. When he's building his church, into this beautiful holy temple, he's, he, he shaves bits off us, which can be uncomfortable. Or you get these two bricks that butt up against each other and rub against each other. And it's God's at work amongst us. So sometimes when we see, because in our individualistic lifestyle, when we see context, uh, conflict, we want to run. We see it as a bad thing. Conflict is negative. Actually, in the kingdom of God, sometimes it can be a really beautiful, fruitful thing where we're, we're, we're disagreeing with one another and we're, we're, we're offending one another. And sometimes God's at work because he's knocking some chips off of us. <laughs> As we said earlier, we don't want to look at the other person and think, well, they're wrong. Sometimes we need to think, what's, what's wrong in my heart? What have I got wrong here? What, what's, how is God using this relationship to change me to be more like him. And God shapes and forms us sometimes painfully but because he's trying to build something far more glorious. He's taking all these bruised, broken people and he's creating this beautiful structure together. It's the church, the people of God. And often when you see relational difficulties in a church, it may be proof that God's at work, <laughs> that he's there, he's doing something. Not always, doesn't, doesn't mean that, that uh, we should just say, well, they're, they're okay, you know, we need to investigate those things, make sure that there's godly attitudes being worked out. But when difficulty comes, don't just, don't run away. That's really important for all of you to hear. In your, maybe if you're married, if your kids, your workplace, in this community. If things get a bit difficult, don't, don't run away. Because that's often what we do, right? We just, we just disappear in those moments. But press in. And press into God. If there are things that you see sin in someone's life that needs to be called out, the Bible says, speak the truth to one another in love. But love is always at the center of that. We're seeking to help one another, to bless one another. But 
my invitation to you this morning is to press into God's community. For some of you, that, that might be a bit scary because maybe you've read in the newspapers about what the church is supposed to be like. Even this week, stories about what's happened in the Catholic Church, even in the Netherlands, that makes us think, the church is bad, we should run away. We should never overlook those things. We should call those things out as sinful and wrong. But that's not an excuse for us to run away from what God's doing. Just because it gets a bit uncomfortable. But press in. Because it's, cause God wants to do something in your life. And he's going to use other people often to accomplish that. John 13, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. <laughs> it doesn't say a bit like, it says just like. And how did Jesus love us? He gave his life for us. The ultimate example of sacrificial love, he gave his life for us. So that's what we should be pursuing to do all the time, is love each other as Jesus has loved us. Because it's there. You just can't get past that verse. Black and white. Love one another as I have loved you. But then it goes on to say, a new commandment I give to you. You love one another just as I loved you. You also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. We were talking about this a bit last week, but often we can divorce in our minds our kind of mission activity, we want to go and tell people around us about Jesus, and, and community life is, well, that's a bit, you know, that's, that's for the weak, needy ones, but for the passionate, missional, evangelistic ones, we're going to go out and tell people, and Jesus says, hold on a second, what are you doing? <laughs> this is a big part of how we tell people, how people come to know Jesus, is they see how the community of God loves one another, because we're to love people in a way that the people around us don't love each other. In a world of these transactional relationships where we take, 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 suddenly relationships that come in where they see us sacrificially loving people and giving again and again and again of ourselves to others. People should see that and, and they will see that and be shocked. Like, you love each other like that? Not just once, but over and over again. And this is how Jesus here tells us to, that people are going to know about us. That they, people will see us and they'll say, well, well, these guys are disciples of Jesus because of how they love one another. So if you want to be on mission in this city, then, then love each other. Because so often we can think, well, I want to be on mission in this city, so we need to get outside of this building. We need to leave. We need to stop just hanging around with one another in these Christian huddles, and we need to get out. And yes, we can have Christian huddles <laughs> where we kind of forget that there is actually a world out there beyond us. But actually, often a better thing to do, even with these new community groups, is to think about, you know, you can invite people into those. It's just like, come and see Come and just taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, just come and have a meal with us, with our friends. You know, a few of us are going to a bar for a drink. Just come and join us. Just come and 
and we can just come and serve one another. There's this really beautiful thing that happens in our church and in many churches is that when someone has a baby, that other people in the church cook meals for them. So Gavin and Robin had a baby a couple of weeks ago and people have been cooking meals for them for the last few weeks so that they don't have to worry about you know, holding the baby by its feet and stirring the pasture at the same time. You know, someone just brings a meal to your door. Maybe we should think more and more about when our friends who, who aren't part of the church, when they have a baby, we could do the same for them. You know, really simple. There's lots of ways that, to be honest, there's lots of ways that are already happening that this community is beautifully working out the love of Christ by loving one another and loving those who are on the fringes of the church or not even part of it at all. So I'd encourage you to do that. Okay, I've got more to say, but we're short on time, so I'm going to stop there. Um, let me pray. Jesus, we, we, we see the, 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 uh, the need in this city. Oh, we see the need in our own lives where there is so often just this loneliness, dysfunction, which is all really just rebellion, where we're trying to fix things ourselves, where we're worshipping ourselves and not worshipping you. When we see a whole city that's lost in its pursuit of self, that defines itself by what they feel inside, rather than what's actually true. God, we, we want to we wanna be, as it says in 2 Corinthians, just ministers of reconciliation. We want to speak into those broken relationships and say there, there's a solution. There, there is a solution. And it's not try harder. It's not just go back to the drawing board and just try and love each other a bit more, just try and squeeze out a bit more affection for one another, but it's, it's let Jesus come and heal you. There is reconciling power break into your life. Let him come and convict you of the sin in your heart so you can realize that it's not them that's the problem, but it's, there's things in you that need to get fixed. There's things in you that you need to ask forgiveness for. But we thank you, Jesus, that you're the reconciling one, that you're the one that stepped down to bring a solution, a fix, that where there's this virus, this curse in our society, you've, you've stepped down to, to break it and to bear the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to, to forgive us so that we can forgive others, to love us richly and deeply and passionately so we can live up, love others the same. And Jesus, we, we confess we need your help. We can't do that by ourselves. We ask, Holy Spirit, you empower us to first of all love you and then to love others, we pray.